0: I mean, we live in a society that is weight-focused, diet-focused. There's a lot of work being done on body acceptance and moving our culture away from weight stigma. And yet, diet culture prevails, and for many people, very ingrained. And we know in the field of eating disorders that dieting is a risk factor for developing an eating disorder.
1: You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and
0: the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard.
1: Welcome to the show, everyone. I am your host, Gabe Howard. And calling in today, we have Dr. Anna B. Tanner. Dr. Tanner is Vice President of Child and Adolescent Medicine for Aconto Health. She is a board-certified pediatrician who has specialized in the care of complicated adolescent patients, in particular patients with eating disorders, for almost 25 years. Dr. Tanner, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Gabe. I'm excited to be here today.
1: Let's jump right in because many people see weight loss drugs as a solution to the obesity epidemic facing our young people today. And in fact, many people see weight loss drugs as a solution to obesity, period. However, as a pediatrician, you feel that weight loss drugs just existing may do more harm than good.
0: In general, this new um, move towards uh, medications for weight loss has put a lot of focus on weight. And that in and of itself uh, really lends itself to a lot of discussions about weight stigma in healthcare and medical providers and the lay public assessing health based purely on weight or BMI. And that is a really um, important thing that we should discuss because weight in and of itself is not an indicator of health. And those of us in the field of eating disorders probably see this more than than anyone. Uh, you can have um, good health at a range of body shapes and sizes. And so I think it's really important to discuss that that this focus on weight loss drugs and focus on weight is really taking us away from focusing on an individualized approach to health.
1: When you say that weight is not the end all be all, this is not the messaging that that I received growing up. I, I was very much told that this is the ratio that you're supposed to be in. And if you're outside of the ratio, you're a little bit overweight, a lot overweight, obese, morbidly obese, or dead man walking. It was weight was all we heard. Now I, I'm a middle-aged man. This does seem to be lightening up, for lack of a better word. I, I I hear younger people talk today about you know body image and body shaming, and I think these are all good things. But even when I when I start to engage in like a, a real solid discussion, it's still like well we still want to be pretty. I mean, it's, we don't want to body shame, but we still know who is pretty and who is handsome and who is conventionally attractive, but we're not body shaming anymore. And I'm like, but it it just, it seems like different words for the exact same thing. We know what we want to look like. We know what number we want on the scale. And if we don't hit it, we just use different words to complain about it. Is that what you're seeing in your practice? Uh,
0: That's such a a really well phrased um, way to, Set this up, this conversation, because you're exactly right. For for young persons in today's society, there is an exceptional drive uh, to look a certain way um, and meet certain expectations. There's a big social media factor there. But this is also something to your point that's existed forever in society. uh, And And we know that the promotion of body dissatisfaction is is a major contributing factor to the development of eating disorders. And in fact, um, many years back in a policy statement from the American Academy of Pediatrics, on the prevention of obesity and eating disorders, uh, we stated that we should not promote um, body dissatisfaction. So this idea that we have a society uh, that may promote body dissatisfaction and this drive for even our youngest children to want to look a different way it is really a, a very big problem that we need to continue to address and help our young people with and help adults with. If, you're, if you start with that early in life and you've never addressed it, it's not going to automatically go away when you're a grown up, no matter what other successes you have.
1: There is so much I want to say on this topic because I, I want to be transparent. I'm vain. I, I want to look pretty. I, I I buy the expensive clothes. I get my suit tailored. If you know now that I'm approaching fifty, I'm like I, I don't want dad bod, right? I I want to be a zaddy. I don't know what a zaddy is, but it's spoken about very favorably. But at the same time, I, I know my own struggles with weight and body image. I, I had binge eating disorder. I, I used to weigh 550 pounds, and, and now I weigh 230. So I've I really struggled with my weight, and... I do believe a large portion of my weight struggles were for health issues. I, I couldn't walk from the parking lot into a building without needing a rest or losing my breath, and that's clearly unhealthy. But I also want to be fully transparent that the big impetus for Gabe wanting to lose weight was that I wanted women to find me attractive. I, I wanted to date. I I, I mean, sincerely, I can't phrase it any differently than that. And, and I think a lot of young people... They, they really do want to be attractive. And I'm not certain that's a bad thing, unless, of course, it leaves you out. I know this is a long and cumbersome question, but I got to imagine as a pediatrician who are treating preteens and teenagers and even young adults, when they look at you and say, hey, look, I want to be conventionally attractive. I want to look like social media. It must be hard for you to say, well, the important thing is that you're healthy and that you have good cholesterol.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, first off, talking to adolescents about anything um, is always fraught with the fact that you know nothing because you're a grown-up. We'll just establish that as our baseline. But I think it's a really good point, right? It is very common wanting to look different, to um, have thoughts of that that will help them achieve, you know, X, Y, or Z in their life. So that's it's, it's a really fair thing to say, Gabe. But in addition, we know that thoughts of that become preoccupying. When um, persons become preoccupied a large percent of their time and energy on their weight, their shape, uh, their body size, uh, food that they're eating, planning for that, that is when concerns that are very common in our society cross over into eating disordered thoughts and may lead to eating disordered behaviors. And I think they have to know how prevalent eating disorders are. They affect one in 10 Americans in the course of their lifetime. This movement from a concern, which might be quite normal in our society and happens a lot, into disordered thoughts that drive disordered behaviors that can lead to very significant, long-term, irreversible medical complications or even death, It's really important for persons listening to this to understand that that change can happen. And so the concern around this conversation about diet medicines is if we start talking about it more, if we start promoting ways to lose weight, start focusing more on weight and weight loss, will this preoccupation Um, force more persons into this pattern of um, preoccupied thoughts and lead to more behaviors and lead to more full-blown eating disorders.
1: It seems like medical providers are very focused on weight. How does that focus contribute to the development of an eating disorder?
0: Weight stigma amongst medical providers is very prevalent. Um, It's probably deeply instilled in medical culture, not for every single medical provider, but it's there in medical culture. Um, And it may pervade for many providers, every aspect of what they've been trained in and how they approach all illnesses. You know, unfortunately, we know Many patients have had experiences where they go to a medical provider for something like a sore throat, um, and they come out with a lecture about what they should be eating and how much they should be exercising, and they may never even have any attention paid to their sore throat, and we know that this kind of weight stigma in medicine is very hard on persons. It's a form of discrimination. It leads to stress. It also leads to persons avoiding care uh, because they don't want to be back in this situation.
1: Diet pills were just sort of becoming a thing when, when I was a teenager and in my young adult years. And I, I was excited about it. I, I remember them coming out. Now, the, the early diet pills, and I'm, I'm sort of making air quotes, and I don't know why, but they were basically caffeine pills that you bought over the counter. Uh, but yeah. the medicines came out, very popular ones that are now off the market because they they caused a lot of damage. They were they Again. were dangerous for people to take, uh, but they're like, well, but they've used them in Europe for years. And I remember that was the marketing. Use them in Europe for years, very safely. And then Americans started taking them and all of a sudden heart valve issues and uh, other just, you know, being overweight has its own health complications, but this was a medical intervention. You needed surgery. People were it It was a bad, bad scene uh, is really what I'm saying. but the yet the the diet pill conversation is still I, I sort of thought that would end it. I was like, oh, wow. you know, people who were overweight took these pills and then they needed heart surgery. Like that's 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 a pretty convincing reason not to take diet pills. But here we are. They're still marketed both prescription and over the counter. People are still taking them, and people still see them as magic. They seem yeah. very, very dangerous to me. Am I correct in my assessment? Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media.
0: He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist.
1: That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorders.
0: Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more.
1: Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with Aconto Health's Dr. Anna B. Tanner talking about eating disorders and weight loss drugs.
0: I think that you're very wise point out that historically, we have had negative medical outcomes associated with the rollout of medicines that are new, um, that are become widely used. And then we find these adverse medical events that, that can be quite serious.
1: So they're driven by this idea that if I take this pill, I'll look and feel better.
0: So we're seeing increasing stories of persons who are seeking out these medicines purely for weight loss, and they have no medical concerns, or medical diagnosis attached to the use of these medicines, other than a desire to lose weight.
1: So just to, to really clarify, it means they're just unhappy with their looks. They they don't have high cholesterol, they don't have high blood pressure, they're they don't have heart conditions, they're 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 able to run a mile or exist in society and sit in movie theater seats and 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 play with their friends and, and hang out. They're just they look in the mirror and they think, I wish I was thinner. Prescribe me a drug.
0: We are definitely hearing Uh, anecdotes that that is happening. And that, of course, is concerning. It's also concerning, Gabe, if you think about it in the context of eating disorders, right? So if you have someone who perhaps medically does not only not need to lose weight, but perhaps medically, Gabe should not lose weight, someone who is in perfectly good health, they have totally normal labs, they have totally normal vital signs, they have totally normal Hormone function. They're as active as they want to be, yet they want to lose weight because of that self-perception, that over-concern about body shape, size, and weight. They may actually make themselves ill by taking a a, a diet medicine, a medicine to lose weight. And we know this from our experience with patients with eating disorders that lose weight by other means. And so the concern of those of us in the eating disorders field is that patients who have, um, may lose weight and may become medically unstable or have new medical concerns because of these medicines.
1: As I'm listening to you speak, I think, okay, the solution is obvious. Pediatricians and doctors should just not prescribe diet pills to people who are not candidates. It seems really, really easy. It is, is that happening? Are, are, are pediatricians like you saying, look, I'm sorry, no, you're not a candidate. And then they can't get a hold of the drugs. And therefore this problem is resolved, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's such a great question. So unfortunately, I'm on the other side of this all the time, Gabe, I'm seeing patients after they've developed an eating disorder. And that's always hard. And honestly, I always tell parents, patients, you know, not do the shoulda, woulda, coulda done game, because if they have the genetic makeup to be prone to these eating disorders, they're very unbidden, like all other mental illnesses, there's a lot of genetics. Um, There are a lot of uh, social and environmental factors that make them at risk. And I always try to not backtrack and say, if this hadn't happened, then you wouldn't be here today. And yet, I do remain concerned around um, physicians bringing their own weight bias into these conversations, um, promoting weight loss or inadvertently promoting body dissatisfaction, leading to, you know, the use of these medicines or self-directed dieting or eating disorder behaviors, you know, that's always our our biggest concern. And again, when they present to me, that's already happened. I'm already seeing them once they developed an eating disorder. And so my biggest point I would make to pediatricians and to parents is to really think about, a very individualized approach to every single child. You know, what is their health? Are they as active as they want to be? What are the family's habits around eating and activity? Um, and looking for very individualized solutions and not simplifying it down to just if your weight was this, then everything would be better. Because one, socially, developmentally, that's not normally the case. And medically, we have a lot of evidence that it might perhaps not be the case.
1: Dr. Tanner, I imagine that I don't have a lot of 15 year olds listening to my podcast, but I know that I have a lot of parents who are listening to this podcast when they're teenagers, when they're young adults want diet pills and you're talking to both them as your patient and their parents. What advice do you have for their parents, and and how do they feel about these conversations when you're talking to them? Are they gung ho for the diet pill, or are 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 parents did did they have a a more nuanced viewpoint? What are you seeing from the parents to help them make the decision for their teenagers? Uh,
0: Gabe, I love uh, the opportunity to talk to parents. Um, I'm very passionate about helping parents feel like they're doing a great job. Um, parents know their kid better than anybody, better than any of us as pediatricians. They've known them technically since, you know, the day they got them. And so they, they know them best. Uh, they know what their kids are worried about. They know what their kids are like at home. They know what they're doing for um, sleep and uh, studying and activity. They know how they eat as a family. Uh, they know their family values. So one thing um, that you might have heard of is this change in the field of eating disorders towards family-based a treatment for eating disorders, FBT, this idea that parents know their child better than anyone. And you can apply those principles of FBT not just to helping children and their parents in recovery from eating disorders, but also in conceptualizing health when maybe the child or the family is a bit off track with habits that they might like to change that might improve their health. And so I think it's really important to just validate parents know their child best. Uh, They might be looking for a fast solution. Um, Their child might want a fast solution. But as adults, we know that things in life, um, you know, aren't easy and and simple solutions don't usually get you where you want to be. And so this idea of collaborating with families Help achieve their best health is a really important point, and I think that you'll see in the future in medicine that we continue to move towards this more and less, uh, you know, more away from you know an older approach in medicine, very authoritarian, where the pediatrician would say do this and do that and and come back and see me and everything will be better. I think it's a really important point to validate that parents are the expert when it comes to their kid, and they might have a lot of pressure to find quick changes, and they might even get pressured uh, by the medical community, but at the end of the day, they know their child best.
1: And what conversations are you having with parents to help them make the decision? Do you start off with, this is dangerous and it's not in their best interest? Do you have a more nuanced view? In general, for the parents who are listening, who are trying to decide if they should broach this with their pediatrician, what foundational knowledge can you give them to have this conversation?
0: I think it's very important when you're evaluating any child and weight and shape concerns to do an evaluation for an eating disorder and... When parents have a concern, it hasn't usually just happened overnight, and I think it's really important to look at the big picture. Is this a long-term issue, or is this something new? And if it's a change, uh, what other behaviors are the parents parents noticing? Again, it's very important to screen for eating disorders. At Aconto Health, we know that the earlier we intervene, the better outcomes we're going to get. I really want to direct these conversations, these concerns to making sure first that an eating disorder is not present. And again, kind of trying to jump to a a simplified solution and more an individualized uh, evaluation.
1: Dr. Tanner, before we leave, is there anything else that you would like to add to this conversation?
0: I could give any advice. Uh, to your audience uh, from the perspective of a a pediatrician who's been seeing young persons with eating disorders for more than a couple decades, just a reminder that um, eating disorders are an unbidden mental illness. Families don't cause them. Patients don't ask to have them. We are very early in our understanding of the genetic risk and the other factors that lead to these developments of these illnesses. And we know that eating disorders can and do get better. I would not still be in this field if I didn't see patients get well all the time.
1: Dr. Tanner, thank you so much for being here. How can folks find more information or learn more online?
0: So as you know, I'm with Aconto Health and we have a website that's very easy to find. It's just aconto.com. It's an Italian word, A-C-C-A-N-T-O. And our brands are Veritas Collaborative, Gather Behavioral Health and the EMILY program. So there's a lot of information across our brand and website for anybody who's listening to this that's worried that they might have some eating disorder behaviors or their concerns about their body shape and weight. That's always a great resource is our website.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Tanner, and a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm an award-winning public speaker, and I could be available for your next event. I also wrote the book Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations. You can get it on Amazon, but you can grab a signed copy with free podcast swag or learn more about me by heading over to my website, GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. You don't want to miss a thing, and it is absolutely free. And hey, can you do me a favor? Recommend the show. Bring it up in a support group. Bring it up at work. Bring it up on social media. Hell, send somebody a text because sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening
0: to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com/slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.